We're in Joshua chapter 1. Jesus said in Luke 16 that whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. He was speaking concerning finances and what is entrusted with him. And he says a similar thing later on in chapter 19, where he has the parable of the servants and he gives them 10 talents and they invest those talents in different things. And those who are wise and invest and produce more to them, he says, well done, good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of 10 cities. He gives them more. And the point he makes is that if you can be trusted in the little things, then you can be trusted in the big things. And we see that there has to be trust before there can be responsibility. God is not going to give you large responsibility if he cannot trust you in those areas of responsibility. And as we come to the book of Joshua, we see that Joshua the man is being entrusted with huge responsibilities. He is now going to be leading the nation of Israel. Moses has passed away. Moses saw the promised land but could not enter into it. Joshua now picks up, takes the baton, and is going to be carrying the nation further into this land of promise. But it didn't just fall into his lap. God didn't just, you know, draw a name out of the hat. He didn't do eeny, meeny, miny, mo, or inka, inka, bottle of ink, or engine, engine, number nine. All those things I remember. <laughs> he prepared Joshua, and Joshua was faithful long before this day happened. We see Joshua a part of Moses' life. And in fact, in verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, my servant is, now, is dead. Now then, you and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan River and into the land that I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. We see that Joshua was Moses' aide or Moses' servant or some translations say Moses' minister. And I like that idea of, you know, minister, servant, aide all being kind of thought of in the same way because our idea of a minister now has changed. A minister is a person of prestige in many circles when really it's a servant. Moses' minister, it wasn't like Moses had his private pastor. He was there to serve Moses. And so Joshua was Moses' servant a long time ago, and originally his name was not Joshua, it was Hoshea. We see that in Numbers 13, 8, and he is one of the ten that go into the land to spy out the land. Now, Hoshea means salvation, but later on, Moses changes his name to Joshua, or Jehovah is salvation. And so his name goes from salvation to Jehovah is salvation. And the Greek name, as we may know, is Jesus. That is what Joshua means. Much like Juan is John in Spanish. It's the same name just translated in Greek. It is Jesus. 
And so Joshua, Jehovah is salvation, was with Moses way back when, was serving Moses way back when, and was faithful a long time before this day ever took place. We see Joshua as his name appears in Exodus chapter 17. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, right, well, let me explain what happened in Exodus 17, because this is the first time Joshua's name appears. And the account is Moses and the children of Israel are going to war with the Amalekites. And Joshua is leading the battle. He is the commander leading the forces into battle. And as long as Moses' arms are being held up, Joshua is victorious. When Moses' arms start to go down, then the Amalekites start being victorious over Joshua. And so finally they prop up Moses' arms and Joshua is victorious. And then the Lord says to Moses in Exodus 17, 14, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Write this down. I want Joshua to hear what happened. What happened? The battle was won, not by how great he fought, but by the fact that Moses' arms were being held up by others. And when Moses' arms were being held up, that's when victory was given to you. And I think it's interesting that the Lord wanted Joshua to hear this. See, because Joshua's in the battle. He's fighting. And as far as he knows, things are going great. Yeah, every now and then they'd push on, you know, forward and he'd have to battle them. But then he would fight back. And as he's fight back, finally he's victorious. And I could see Joshua, yeah, we did it, we did it. Not being aware of what was happening up on the mountain with you know, Moses there and his arms getting tired and, and all that was going on. And it's easy for him to think, well, we've beat them. But the Lord says, I want Moses, I want Joshua to know the truth, Moses. Write this down and tell him what really happened. And imagine coming back from victory and saying, hey, Joshua, I've got something for you to read. You need to read what happened. Joshua, yeah, what happened? Yeah, you know all those times that they were pushing forward and defeating you? Yeah, well, Moses' hands were down at that time. You know that time when you were victorious? Well, Moses' hands were up and God wanted you to know that. That the battle belongs to the Lord. And you see, God was training Joshua from the very get-go to trust in God and not in his own strength, not in his ability to command, not in his ability to lead the army, but to trust in in the Lord. We see that Joshua was with Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 24 when he received the Ten Commandments. That he came down from the mountain and he was the one who heard the children of Israel parting and carrying on as they had made the altar and the idol. And he said, I think there's a battle going on. Joshua had battle on the brain. I mean, he was, you know, the, the commander of the army. And so everything was a battle to him. And Moses says, no, that's not a battle. Something else is going on. He was there when the commandments were given. We talked about Sunday in chapter 33 that when Moses left the tent of meeting that Joshua would stay there. And he had a relationship with the living God. He was not just Moses' follower. He didn't follow man. He himself 
followed the Lord. And you see, that was the prerequisite to him being entrusted with the nation. God gave him this command because of who he was. He was Moses' servant, but he was also a servant of the living God. And he followed after the Lord, and he made sure that the person who was entrusted with leading this nation was a person who was going to be faithful. He was faithful in the small things, and now he's being entrusted in the bigger things. In verse 3, let's continue on reading. It says, The Lord says to him, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west, the Mediterranean. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so the promises that were given to Moses and was to given to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob are now given to Joshua. These promises were given beforehand, but now Joshua is saying, or Lord is saying to Joshua, these now belong to you as well. Now, the book of Joshua, if we don't have insight, will be just a, a record of the, mili the military accounts of Joshua leading the children of Israel. And this book is so much more than that. This is not just a record of the battles of Joshua. Alan Redpath, in his book on Joshua, the commentary, calls his book Victorious Christian Living. Because the things that are learned through this book of Joshua can bring victory in our own lives. It's not a coincidence that Joshua's name is the same as our Savior, Jesus. It's not a coincidence that Moses, who represents the law, could not enter into the promise because the law could not take you there, but Jesus can. You see, the law can make you aware of where the promised land is, what needs to be done, but it can't lead you there. What needs to lead you there is the promise of God. And we talked about this in Romans 7, faith in God through the person of Jesus Christ. And so... What we find in the book of Joshua is the promise of God being unfolded in the life of this nation. And they win it not by obedience to the law, they win it by having faith in God and Joshua having faith in God. And so this book is not just the accounts of a battle. This book is how victory can be won in our own lives and how victory can be lost as well because they didn't win every battle. And so we're going to see that there are things that are necessary for us to hold on to if we're going to live lives that are victorious. And Joshua gives us that. Canaan, the land where the Canaanites dwell, that's why it's called Canaan, is not a picture of heaven. Some of the old hymns would say, when I get to Canaan's land, and it was an idea of being in he heaven. Canaan, or this land of promise, is not heaven. It's a land that is fraught with war. It's a land that is occupied by the enemy. But it is the land of promise. And so 
It's much like where we find ourselves today. Having received the promise of God, being forgiven by God, we find ourselves in this world and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual weakness in high places. We are victorious. We are seated in heavenly places, but we are still battling it here on earth. We're not done. We can't kick back and say, all right, everything's cool, everything's easy now. We're in the middle of the battle, but we are already victorious. And if we don't realize that we're victorious, we are going to be overcome with the weight and the pressures of this world. Because we are involved with them. We still deal with sickness. Tomorrow, a friend of mine's son, his name is Dan, is going in for surgery. He has cancer, and it's in his liver, and it's spreading to the other organ, organs, and he's just a young man. He's in, how old is Dan? Is in his 20s? In his 20s, and there's a battle for his life. And he's a believer. He loves the Lord, but he's battling for his life. A young man just married, battling with cancer. And you guys know and have other people that you are aware of who are struggling in so many areas. We're not immune to disease. We're not immune from calamity and poverty and losing jobs and all the things that come with this world. We're not immune to those things. But we are victorious in spite of them. That's why Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I've already won. The promise belongs to you. It is your inheritance. You just need to fight through it. And Joshua is that picture for us of the promise being given every place where you put your foot, it belongs to you, but you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to battle to occupy it, but it's yours. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So much like the words of Jesus when he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Joshua is that picture and that promise of what we're to see our lives at right now. It is the promise being fulfilled in our lives as we walk in faith, living this life, following after the Lord. In verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, in these Three verses, God tells him three times to be strong and courageous, tells him not to be terrified, tells him not to be discouraged. And we talked about this Sunday. The reason God had to tell him be strong was because he was weak at that moment. The reason he had to tell him be courageous is because he wasn't. 
He was weary. He was fearful. And so God told him, don't be terrified. And, and I believe that the Lord has to tell us this over again. And I love how he just tells them, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. Be strong because you have a job to do. Be strong because I want you to do this for me. You will lead these people into this inheritance. So you need to be strong. You need to be courageous. I believe that we have responsibilities as followers and believers of Christ. We've been given a ministry of reconciling a lost world to the living God. And I believe we need to be strong and we need to be courageous. And I believe God is telling us, like he told Joshua, be strong and courageous because I need you to do this work for me. And you see, you can't do that work if you're not strong and you're not courageous. You can't do it effectively. And we cannot do the work that God has for us effectively if we are not strong and courageous. Now, he tells them why he should be strong and he tells them why he should be courageous because I have this for you because I'm going to use you to fulfill the promise that I gave to your forefathers because I am with you and I won't leave you and I won't forsake you. That's why you should be strong. That's why you should be courageous. That's why we should be strong. That's why we should be courageous because Jesus has gone before us, has made the way for us. We have been brought into the family. We have an inheritance that belongs to us. It is ours. So we need to recognize where we stand and we need to walk in that. You see, the great thing about the book of Joshua and the great thing about the Christian life is it's not something that you walk into. It's something that you recognize you already are in. And it makes all the difference in the world if you recognize where you are and where you stand with God instead of thinking of it something that you have to move into. It's something you move out of, not into. This promise was already theirs. Every place they stepped their foot, God was going to give them victory. They just had to move there. This world that we're living in, to have a victorious life, it's not that we have to get there. We have to realize we are there and we have to start living in the promise that God has given to us. And there's a huge difference because one is moving in your own strength and then one is moving out of the strength that has been given to us by God. You see, to be victorious in this life, we don't earn it. We don't work hard at it. We allow God to produce it in our lives. We surrender to him for his spirit dwells within us and our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the very power of God dwells within the believer. And it's not up to the believer to make it happen. It's up to the believer to recognize what has happened and to live in that promise of faith. And it makes all the difference in the world. This book revolutionized my life. It opened my eyes. Once I recognized what was really mine, where I really stood. 
and where I live from instead of something I have to earn, something I have to work at. Oh, I have responsibilities. But you see, it starts with what God has already done. And so Joshua is moving from a place of promise that God was going to be with him wherever he went. Do you recognize that? That God is with us wherever you go. He's with you. Or do we get overcome by the circumstances? Oh my gosh, look what's happened. Oh, look at the illness. Oh no, look at the finances. Oh no, look at the kids. Oh no, look at these things. And all of a sudden, it's like a cloud comes down upon us and all we see is the circumstances and we don't recognize where we are seated. Ephesians tells us that we are seated in heavenly places. Hebrews tells us that we have entered into the rest, that we have ceased from working. What is the rest? It is what Jesus has already done. And as the people of Israel are going to move forward, the Lord is with them wherever they go. The victory is already theirs. It belongs to them. And so God tells Joshua, don't be discouraged. You need to be strong. Recognize that I've done this for you and go and take it. Sometimes we just need to snap out of this cloud that we get in. And we just get overcome with fear and with doubt. And God needs to just shake us up and, and tell us, be strong. Be courageous. Step into the land. Don't be dismayed. Don't be terrified. It belongs to you. Walk in and take it. Oh, you might have to battle for it, and that battle might last years. But you have to move forward. Don't give up. Do you know where you're seated? Do you know what your inheritance is? Have you entered into my rest? Do you realize that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you've been called, you've been predestined, you've been sanctified, you've been glorified? Do you realize who you are, where you are, you need to be strong. You need to be courageous. In verse 10, he goes on. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan to go into the possession of the land the Lord your God is giving, for, giving you for your own. I love this because right after God tells him, be strong, be courageous, I am with you. Don't be discouraged. Don't be terrified. Be very courageous. What does Joshua do? He says, let's go. He gives him a command. We're moving. The order's to move out. Tell everyone to get ready. In three days, we're going to go. Why three days? There's three million people or so estimated. That's a lot of people. You don't just tell three million people, come on, let's go tomorrow. You got to, you know, they got to get the kids and they got to get the animals and they got to get all the things together. But notice what he does. He says, it's going to happen. When God speaks into our lives, when he tells us, I want you to live this way, I want you to do these things, I want you to step into this area. Do we say, okay, let's make plans, let's do it. Or do we freak out and paralyze? Or, you know, oh no, but what if I got to, you know, I need to take a survey first. You know, I need to, you know, check the wind and I, I need to see, you know, what the weather's going to be on that day. If I'm going to do something like this, if God tells us to step into something, 
We need to step into it. We can't hesitate. We, we can't just say, well, no, I got to... A lot of times we justify our hesitancy. It's our fear and we hesitate and we make up excuses of why we can't move into this area, why we don't do things. We have to be wise. Joshua didn't say, let's go tomorrow. He said three days. Get your stuff together. Plan your things. We're going. And now realize this, because we're going to get to this later on in chapter 3, but there's something in between them and this land of promise. There's the Jordan River. And we don't see Joshua saying, but what about the river? How are we going to get past that? We don't see him questioning what God has just told them. And believe me, that's a big obstacle. And so this man who has seen God work in the past, who was given a scroll that said, Joshua, the victory that you won with the Amalekites, it was me. If we're to take Josephus' writing, Joshua actually lived 40 years in Egypt before they entered into the wilderness. And so Joshua is 80 plus years old. Possibly. He has seen God do some incredible things. And the Jordan River is not a problem to him. He says, three days, let's go. We don't know how God has spoken to him. We don't know in what way it took place. But something was impressed upon his life. And he said, let's go. We've got three days to get everything together. And we're moving out to take the land, possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Verse 12, he says, But the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land and the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Now, what he's talking about here is what took place previously when the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh found land. And they said, we like it here. We want to stay here. Do we really have to go on further? And Moses said, no, you can stay here, but just promise me this. When the others go into the land of promise, you will help them occupy it. They said, okay, that sounds good to us. We'll do that. We'll take our spread of land here and these things, and when that time comes, we'll go with them. Now notice what Joshua does, because we see the wisdom of a leader here. He doesn't tell them, get your stuff, you're going. He says, remember what you said. Remember what you told Moses. It's time to fulfill what you said you would do. He puts the burden on them. He doesn't overburden them with himself. He says, remember what you said. This is what you promised to do. And they fulfill this promise. 
You can stay there, but we need those who can fight to go with us. Now, again, this is wisdom. He knows there's battles. He knows the Lord is going before them, but he also knows it's good to have people who can fight. And so he doesn't say, oh, we don't need you. The Lord is with us and runs blindly. God has promised this, but it's going to be battle. I need to do what I can. They promised. Remember your promise. Remember what you said to Moses. And this is important for anyone who's in an area of leadership. If you're heavy-handed, people don't like being pressured. Anyone who's heavy-handed usually will get met with opposition. Have you guys ever worked for someone like that? They just boss you around. They tell you what to do. They yell at you. Do this, do this. And it's like, every time, you know, I might do it because you're my boss, but man, it's just something about you just bucks the system. But then you've got someone who encourages you to do the work, and it's so much easier. People help people they like. Just one of those things. If you like someone, you'll help them. If you don't, you, I don't want to do anything for you. You're a creep. I don't like to help you, but if you like them, I'll help you. And so Joshua doesn't overburden them with himself. He doesn't come down heavy, but he tells them to remember what they told Moses. And in verse 16, it says, They answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And so we see that they too say, we'll follow you. Only thing we ask is that the Lord is with you as he was with Moses. If God is with you like he was with Moses, we have no problems. In fact, anyone who's against you, may they be put to death. And so we see them and then they actually echo what was given to Joshua by the Lord. And they tell him, just be strong and courageous. That's what we ask of you is that you too would be strong and courageous. Now in this chapter, we see qualifications of a leader. We see things that are necessary for leadership that I think are important. The first thing is faithfulness. And we talked about that at the beginning, that Joshua was a person who was faithful to God before this moment happened that he was someone who could be trusted with these things. And that's an important thing for anyone who's going to be in a position of leadership. Paul says of a person who is in the office of a deacon, first thing they must be is faithful. They need to be faithful. Someone you can count on. Someone you can say, hey, I need this done. Can you take care of it? And they say, okay, I'll, be t I'll take care of it. Faithfulness is an important thing. And we all know what it's like to have someone not be faithful, to let us down, to disappoint us, to say, I'm going to be here at a certain time and then they're not there at that time. Or I'll pick you up and maybe they forget. 
or whatever it is. We, we've all been in those places and how aggravating it is. Well, if you're going to be put in a position where God can use you, you need to be faithful. That's an important part of leadership. If you're going to lead people, they need to be able to trust you, that you're going to do the things that are entrusted to you. The second thing is that he was called to this position. We see that in verse 5. It says, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I have this for you. If God doesn't call you to something and you just want to do it, you can be very, very frustrated. A lot of people want to serve God in different capacities. But unless God calls them to a specific role, they will live very frustrated lives. Because if God calls you, he will equip you for that. Let me give you an obvious example I can think of. Music. When I was overseeing and leading the music ministry, a lot of people would come up to me and say, I feel called to be a part of the music ministry. And I'd say, okay. And, well, why don't you you know, play or sing for me. And they start singing and you're, uh, you know. Uh. If God has called you, he would have equipped you. And, and it, it would be unjust to put you in this place, not only for the people who would listen, but for you because it's not a place where you are. It's not a place where you're equipped. Now, there's different levels, of course, and that's just a rough example of how a person might feel called to something, but they're not equipped for that. They're not gifted in that area. And the same is true with areas of leadership or teaching. I know a lot of people who have started ministries, started churches, and it never grows because they're not gifted. They don't have a gift of being able to teach. And so the people don't want to go and hear them. Why? Because they're bad people? No, they're just not gifted in that area. They're not called for that area. Does it mean they're not called for anything? No. There's an area that you're called to. I don't know what it is. That's between you and God. I've been trying to fight my way and find my own path. And we all have to. But Joshua was called by God to fulfill this. And a necessary part of leadership is that you're called. Now, if you're called, you're going to be equipped and gifted with the things. And the greatest leader that there ever was was Jesus himself. To be in a position of leadership, you have to love people. You have to care about the people. We see Joshua so much of an example like Jesus was. We never see Joshua thinking of himself. We never see Joshua in a place where he did something wrong or was reprimanded. We never see Joshua when his concern wasn't for the nation. 
He cared about the people. He made the decisions that were necessary for the benefit of the whole nation. If you're going to be in a position of leadership, you have to be faithful, trusting, trustworthy. You have to be called by God. And if you're called by God, you're going to care for his people. You're going to love people. Because if you don't love people, you, you, you can't be of use to God because all he is about is people. I know there are people who say, oh, I, I, I love to teach. Well, do you love the people? Because great, you love to teach, but do you love the people? Because if you don't love the people, then you don't represent the heart of God. And if God calls you, he's calling you to care for people. And so, second thing of leadership, faithfulness the first, second is being called, and if you're called, it's going to be equipped with the care and the abilities to do what is necessary. The third thing is the belief and reliance on the scripture. It's going to be dependency and awareness or just the acclamation to the word of God. And we see that in verse 8. We see, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, that you will be prosperous and successful. If you are called to a position of leadership, then you have to be acclimated with the word of God. The scriptures have to be a, a daily part of your life. Now, a daily part of your life, we talked about this Sunday. Does it mean I have to read so many chapters a day? No, but you do need to meditate on it every day, day and night. The word meditate, we talked about, means mutter. I still can't find a better word than mutter. It means to speak. It needs to be something that's coming out of you. Not just something you read or think about, but something that comes out of you. And you have to do it day and night. That's a lot. But I work. I have this. What about, you know, it's something that needs to be a part of your life. I, I think of saturation. I think of steak being marinated. It just starts, I know. <laughs> it's something that becomes a part. You know, when it starts marinating in there, pretty soon when you cut open that steak, it's got the flavor of what it's been marinating. And when, when our lives are opened up, does the flavor of God come out? And so if we are going to be in a position of leadership, reliance on the scripture, faith comes by hearing the word of God. And through the scriptures, the spirit of God comes into our lives and occupies our hearts. If we don't know the scriptures, how can we give guidance? It's so important to have that. I, I was recently talking with someone and they were asking me, about a situation that happened in their life. And they said, well, you know, I did such and such, and I believe that God did this. I believe that it was God. And the things that they shared were contrary to what the scripture taught. But you see, it was beneficial for them. And so therefore they thought, it must be God. But because I was able to go to the scripture and say, well, you know what? The Bible says this. God has recorded this. A person might come up to you and say, you know, yeah, you know, I'm in love with so-and-so. 
And, you know, we've been living together for years now and, and God's okay with it because I know we love each other. And you can go to the scripture and say, well, the Bible says you're not supposed to be in that situation. You're not supposed to have an intimate relationship with someone that you're not committed to in marriage. That's what the scriptures say. It's a guide. It's a protection. It's something that is there for us. And if we don't know it, how can we share it? And so the scriptures have to be integrated in our lives. To be a person in leadership, you have to know and rely and allow the scriptures to be a part of your life. And isn't it great when someone comes up to you and they ask you something? What do you think about this? And a scripture comes to mind and you're able to say, well, this is what the scriptures say. And you see, there's the obvious things of sin. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, it's going to keep me from those areas. There's the obvious things that we know about, like adultery or drunkenness, envying. We know about those things. Those are obvious. But then there's those other areas of life that aren't so clear. How we deal with people and, and dealing with circumstances that Bible doesn't specifically say what to do. But if you know the heart of God and you're involved with the scripture, he's going to give you wisdom. In fact, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Having that recognition of God, the respect for God, and knowing him, how do we know him? Through the scriptures. And so it's a necessary part of leadership. And so Joshua, the man of God, was a faithful man for years. Even though he was afraid, even though he had his struggles and his doubts, he was faithful and he was able to be encouraged by God. He was called by God because he cared for God's people. And he was someone who was going to be involved with the scriptures day and night. He was not going to let the book of the law depart from his mouth. It was going to be something that he rehearsed with the nation of Israel. And he was going to mutter it day and night. It was going to be coming out of him. Those are the characteristics of a leader. If you feel that you are called to a position of leadership, look at these three areas. Where do you fit? How do you weigh up? And if you find yourself lacking in one, it doesn't mean you have to give up. It's, it's there for your understanding. Depends which day of the week it is. I might be lacking in one of these, you know. There's some times where I, I feel like I haven't been so faithful. Maybe I've forgotten something. I forget a lot. There's times where I might not be so loving, depends on the circumstance. If someone, you know, rubs me the wrong way, I might not have the best attitude, but I know that's the right thing I'm supposed to have. There's times where I might wane in my studying and my rehearsing the scriptures, but these are things that are supposed to be a part of my life. And so I measure myself and say, where am I in these areas? I need to do better at this. I, if I'm going to be a leader, like Josh was a leader, I need these things to be a part of my life. And the rest of this book, as we get into it, 
is an amazing account of what God did through this man. How God used a leader to lead a nation. And what a great example that is for us. But let's remember that it first started with a recognition that God had promised. And he worked from God's promise and not from his own strength. I mean, we recognize where we stand and we work from a place of promise and what God has done through Jesus and not what we have to earn or in our own strength. I mean, we recognize where we stand that the victory comes from the Lord and that the Lord has already accomplished it. It just needs to come out of us. And we are the ones who limit God. He is not limited, but we are the ones who limit him because of our lack of trust, our fear, our lack of faith. We limit so much of what God can do. The scriptures are full of the things that God does with people who are just like us. History is full of accounts of people, men, women who were used by God mightily just like us. How did it happen? They believed in the God who is able to do above and beyond what we can ask or think. May we have the faith to do the same. Let's pray. Father, I'm so excited to just get into this book and, Lord, recount, Father, just in my own soul how you've spoken to me in it so many times. And, Lord, I, I look forward to just sharing, Lord, those things that have blessed me with everyone. And I pray, God, that they would be a blessing for them as well. Lord, I pray this would be pivotal in our lives as we follow after you, Lord, that it would be the difference between living a regular or ordinary life and living a victorious life. Lord, living a life that produces good and fruit and long-lasting things for your kingdom. Lord, I pray you would use it in our hearts and the things that we discussed tonight, the things that we read, Lord, I pray we'd mutter them throughout the day, throughout the week, that we would repeat these things, Lord, to our, our family, to our friends, to, to ourselves, God, that we would rehearse these things in our own hearts and be better because of it. Thank you again for this time, Lord. Be honored. Lord, be glorified within each of our lives and use us for your sake, we pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.